So James chapter 3. If you want to grab a Bible, turn to James chapter 3. We're going to be in 1 through 12 uh, together this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll put the scripture up on the screen, of course. And we also have Bibles provided in the seats. And so if you want to use one of those, uh, go ahead and use one of those. And if you don't have one at home that you can dust off or pull off the bookshelf, take that one home. And it's our gift to you. would be really glad for you to have a, a copy of God's Word for yourself. Uh, while you're turning there, I also just want to remind you of these connection cards. Uh, it's the white cards that are provided in your uh, bulletins, your river guides. Uh, there's opportunity with this for you to communicate all kinds of things to us. And so just make note of that. Uh, we all fill this out every week together. So even take a moment now to fill that out. If you filled it out before, just give us your name. And on the back, you can let us know anything that we can be praying for you about. So just make note of that. And as I uh, prayed about uh, Hurricane Sandy, we have these envelopes floating around. And so if you want to give to that uh, work, you can go ahead and take one of these envelopes and, and drop that in the, the basket. And again, we're, as we said last week, through our partnerships, um, we're able to, with the North American Mission Board, we're feeding 450,000 meals a day. And so um, you can be a part of doing that uh, until um, they're all set. And so 450,000 meals a day, you're given to that. And more than anything, those people are investing and pouring into the people that they're talking to and feeding and sharing them um, the hope of, of Jesus. So uh, as a church, we've been in the book of James. Uh, we will be in the book of James for a total of 10 weeks and we'll end right before uh, Christmas. And so uh, it's been a really, really good time together. The book is written by, you guessed it, James, inspired of the Holy Spirit. There he is. And um, he, uh, it's just really been great to go through this, learning a lot about um, just what it means to really live out the Christian faith. And that's what he's passionate about, is authentic Christian faith. That he's sick and tired, much like many of you, I'm, we're sick and tired of complacent, half-hearted Christianity. James suggests that it's not the real deal, that it's, it's fake, that if you're a Christian, but your life doesn't really reflect it in your actions, that it's not the real deal. And so he really addresses that. And uh, we learn that James is just brutally honest. He's very frank. He's to the point. He's passionate. Jesus was his half-brother. He's a leader, the church of Jerusalem. And so I've been really enjoying going through this together. And God has been really working in my heart as well. Don't think that the preacher gets up and has it all together and tries to help you get it all together. The preacher is probably the number one person being preached to while preparing uh, the the sermon. And so it's just been been really good for me as well. Um, So... Mornings in my life, uh, my household kind of look like this. I get up really early. I'm a morning person. Some of you guys uh, know that and hate me for it. But I get up and, and I make coffee. I sit on my sofa, same spot. I'm a creature of habit. I have my coffee, read my Bible, uh, pray every morning. And uh, I do so until my kids wake up, which as of the past uh, little while has been 5.30 a.m. And so I have to get up really, really early uh, to get any time in the Word and in prayer. And I've been doing that, and they wake up. And uh, for the past four years of my six years of being a dad, uh, this book has been sitting on my coffee table. And uh, so when the kids wake up, I grab this book, and uh, I open it up, and we just have a good time together. They love this book. I love this book. It's a kid's Bible called the Big Picture Story Bible. And I want to read to you uh, the, the first few pages here of the Big Picture Story Bible. Um, you know, when you, you have a book that you read a lot, I'm sure we all kind of have a couple books that we just love. It's an encouraging book for us, and we go to it a lot. When you have a book that you read a lot, you kind of get familiar with it, and then you don't always get through it, and so you find that the first few pages or first chapter, you, you read more than the rest of the book. You know what I mean? And so for me, the, the first few pages of this book, I've read dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And so 
I want to read it to you, the big picture story Bible. Here's what it says, the first few pages. I guess I could do it like the teacher. It says this, (laughs) the Bible is God's story, and it begins with these big words, in the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know how God created everything? Simply by speaking words. Imagine making the world with words, strong words, powerful words. Words are more important than you may think. And I wonder if we could do a Microsoft Word on our own mouths and go through and count how many characters we speak every day. That's one of the best tools. I use it all the time in college. You have to have a 600-word essay. And so what do you do? You highlight everything, and you click and see how many words. I wonder how many words come out of our mouths every single day. And we read here that words are tremendously important to God. Of all the ways that God could have created all that we see, He chose to use words. He chose to speak things into existence. He's a, a speaking God. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we see, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3 then says, And God said. God said. And so we learn that he's not this distant, far-off God that just does his thing and we have no idea, but he, he, he speaks. He's up close. He's personal. He's a communicating God. Then just a few verses later in Genesis chapter 1, Verse 26, the scriptures will say that that God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, our, us, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man after our image, after our likeness, that we are in relationship with each other and we communicate with each other. And so if we're made in that image and likeness, we're made like God, not that we are Little gods, this is not new age spiritualism, but that God is a speaking and and personal God, and we are made like that. We are speaking and and personal beings. It's pretty cool. And so today in James chapter 3, we begin this this lengthy uh, treatment from James on the tongue, on our speech. And he goes from James chapter 3 all the way through the chapter into James chapter 4, verses one through 12. And so here's how we're going to divide it up. I'll put it on the screen for you. Here's how we're going to divide it up. Today, James chapter 3, 1 through 12, dangers of the tongue. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, dangers of the tongue. And then right in the middle, in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he gives us the solution. We talk about the solution. And today we're going to cover chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And I only need to do just a little, little bit of preaching today because what we're about to do with baptisms really preach themselves. And so I don't have to do much preaching today. I just want to show you one principle. Next week we'll come back and visit a few things that we don't get to go deep into uh, together uh, this week. But I want to show you one principle. James chapter 3. Let's read verses 1 through 5. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man and able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, 
we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. We'll stop there. So throughout this book, what we've talked about, we've seen, is that James, like his half-brother Jesus, loves to use these really good illustrations. He's really gifted at giving us illustrations. But never in the entire book of James does he pack them in like he does in the passage that we're going to look at today. We just get one illustration after the other, after the other, after the other. And so while you're digesting one, he gives you another. You just can't even keep up. It sounds like he really needs to make a very important point. I believe he's packing these illustrations in because he's speaking to one of our greatest issues. He's speaking to our words, what comes out of our our mouths. And so in this book, James spends the most amount of time, chapter 3 through 4, 12, on this topic, and he just packs it with illustrations. Some of the illustrations, as we've seen uh, so far, that he gives, he, he gives the illustration of a teacher, he gives the illustration of, of a horse and the bit in his mouth, a ship and a rudder, a forest and a, and a fire. So let's kind of walk through these a little bit here. Uh, first, the, think about the, the teacher. So in, in our culture, uh, our kids, and we want our kids, we encourage them to, to grow up and become doctors. I talked to my son the other day, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, well, and he lists off 20 things, but the first thing was doctor. You know what number 20 was? I don't know, maybe a pastor, dad? <laughs> okay, uh, that's all right. Then uh, I was crushed. No, I wasn't really, because it's good. In our culture, everybody, we want to be doctors, push them to be doctors. But you read in James chapter 1, verse 1, uh, you see that that. James is writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. So he's writing to Jewish Christians. And for the Jewish people, you know what people wanted their kids to grow up and be? You know what the kids wanted to grow up and be? I want to grow up and be a rabbi. I want to grow up and be a a teacher. It's kind of this glamorized thing. You know what James says? He says, whoa, whoa, be careful. He says, teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Now, why is that? It's because teachers doing a lot of talking doing a lot of talking, and they have a lot of opportunity to impact people with their words. And so what they say is very important, and they're judged with greater strictness. That's why I told you last week that some people say, oh, man, Josh, speaking at places, your head must get big. No, it's scary. This verse is on my mind and heart a lot. Greater strictness? Do I really want to preach today? So I come up here with fear in my heart, but confidence in the Lord. And so he says, be careful. You don't necessarily want to be a teacher. God calls people to be teachers, but not all of us. Verse 2, James says this. He says, it's not just the teachers, though. He says, he says we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in, in, in many ways, and many in what we, we say, he says. You ever said something you shouldn't have said today, <laughs> yesterday? Of course we have. We say it all the time. We put our foot in our mouth all the time, right? And sometimes we say dumb things. We don't even realize how offensive they are to somebody or to, um, to the Lord, ultimately. We all, we all have. So, so James will give us some more illustrations about things that we say. He, he talks about a horse with a bit that guides the horse. He talks about a ship with the rudder that, that guides the ship. What he's really talking about and pointing to are, are little things that have uh, impacts on big things. 
And so the small bit in the mouth of a horse can, can really steer this, this massive animal or a rudder on the back of a ship can really steer this, this massive vessel. And, and similarly, uh, the, the tongue has more power and control over your entire being than you could possibly imagine. Your, your mouth and what you say, what comes out, has more control over you than you could possibly imagine. And so... Little things like a tongue, like this little organ, has a lot of impact on big things, our life and on many, many other people. He also gives this illustration of a fire, that a, that a great forest can be set ablaze. Started just this small little fire. I know this far too personally. I wish I didn't. Uh, as a kid, uh, my brother and I were in our backyard. I remember this house and this big fence in the backyard. And in the back fence, we had this vine that just covered the whole fence. And in the fall, it just got dead and brittle. And so we went out and we were doing what boys do. My boys aren't in the room, so I can say that this is what boys do. We play with matches, right? And so we were playing with matches in the back. And uh, in just this moment of stupidity, I told my little brother, I said, let's light a leaf, you know? He's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And so we lit this leaf. And within minutes, the fire trucks were coming out because that one leaf, Blew up the whole fence, just complete 50 yards worth of fence, just on fire, started going into the woods. It was awful. It was, my neighbors never looked at me the same, especially the green environmental ones. It was, it was not good. It was not good. And so we, we do these things sometimes that just seem like it's just this little thing, but it has this big, massive impact. Like, I'll just say this, and yet it has this, this massive impact with like a fire and a, a forest. And so James is just trying to illustrate to us the power of our words. Our words are powerful. Illustration after illustration after illustration. Some of you did something stupid like me. Others of you, you're, you, you know the water, you've been on the boat, you, you get the ship, but you just wants it to sink in your heart that things that we say that just seem so insignificant can really have a massive impact and, and we, need to, we need to know that. And so here's our our one principle for today. Our one principle for today is this. Our words are a hidden power. Your words are so powerful. And they're kind of hidden. A lot of people don't know that that we all have this this power. So yesterday, my boys were uh, playing superheroes. It's a common scene at my house. They do this all the time. They love to play superheroes. And so... Uh, they say, let's do it. And they run around the house and they pull open the drawers and they just make this massive mess in our house and they will dress in all blue or all red or all yellow. And then they'll run to these baskets that we have in the front of the house that are full of all of our winter gear. They have gloves, they have hats, they have scarves, they have goggles. And they'll put them, they just go to town and it's the cutest thing ever that they turn into these superheroes. And then they, they present themselves to each other because they like to surprise each other. And they'll say, look at me. And then they'll present themselves to each other and they'll go, oh, cool. You know what the first question is after this moment of, oh, you look so cool. You know what the first question is? What's your power? <laughs> they, they, all, they assign themselves powers. And so one will say, I jump over tall buildings. The other one will say, I have x-ray vision. I have super speed. And they, they love it, right? And, and James is saying, you have a hidden power. Every single one of us have this power. It's your words. It's so powerful. You have no idea how powerful your words are. I was speaking at this Christian school years ago, and I remember 
to, to help illustrate the power of words, that it could go one way or the other, I had a, a little birdhouse building kit, and I, I brought it to the school, and I had a hammer, and I started to, to build this birdhouse while I'm trying to talk to him. I'm a guy, so I'm not really good at multitasking, but it came together somehow, this little lesson, and I'm building the birdhouse and trying to talk scripture to them, and, and I, I get the birdhouse built, and I say, and see, your, your mouth is like a hammer. You can build stuff with. You can do great things with, with your words. You can build people up, encourage them. And the kids were, that's great. And they loved the birdhouse, you know. And then I, I said, but your mouth can also destroy things. And I took this hammer at this little Christian school with elementary school kids, just started smashing the birdhouse. And the boys are going, yeah. <laughs> and parts are flying. And the girls are like, no. They, were, they just were so excited about this birdhouse, and it was awful. And then I, I thought, hey, that's kinda, that kind of worked, right? The boys were excited. The girls were sad. And that's kind of how it is with our mouth. We can build something, or we can destroy something. Think about, think about this, this past week and the things that people maybe have said to you. What are some things that people have said to you over the course of this past week? Many of them have no idea the kind of impact it's had on your week, do they? the things that they said to you. Maybe it was your significant other on the way out the door said something short and snappy. And they were just run out the door and they didn't realize the kind of impact that it had in your heart and how it kind of ruined your day. Maybe your boss criticized you and you dwelt on it all week long. They, have no, they have, just have no clue as to how much it ruined your week and how you, you dwelt on it all week long. Maybe your child said to you, you're the best mommy in the world. They have no idea how that just lit you up, made you want to press on as a mom for the rest of that day, the rest of that week. Maybe it was your, your friend at church, a connection group, doing the Bible study, and they shared a struggle that they have. And they were just sharing their struggle, and they didn't realize that it's also your struggle and how it just encourage you to think, I'm not the only one with a screwed up life. This is great. Right? And, and it encouraged you. People have no idea how their words affect people. And so we need to be really, really, really intentional about what we say and guarding our mouth and, and, and be very, very careful because people say something to you and it gets in your mind, gets in your heart, and you dwell on it and like a forest fire, it just grows fast in your heart. It could be a good thing that's growing fast be a really awful thing that's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger in your heart. Some things for good, some things for bad. And had they had known that it was going to be used for bad in your life, maybe they would have said something a little different. Maybe they wouldn't have said anything at all. Now, with this in mind, think back to your speech this past week. Because you know how what they said affected you, and they don't. What about the things that you've said to people uh, this week? With all of this in mind, what would you have said that you didn't say? That could have really encouraged somebody. What shouldn't you have said to your spouse, to a coworker? Could you have said in your connection group, to your child, to your neighbor? You have no idea. No idea. And so our one principle for today is that our words are a hidden power. So much power there. And then the, the last piece of this principle that I want to give us is our words are hidden power, and power can be used or abused, right? Think back through history. A lot of things have happened in history because of power being used for good 
the power being abused and people being manipulated and people being oppressed because of power. And God is severely against oppressing the weak in the scriptures. Keeping in mind our uh, superhero theme that we seem to be taking on um, today. Remember what Uncle Ben said to Peter Parker? (laughs) The kids love this. With great power, Peter, comes what? Great responsibility, right? Cheesy but true, that we can use our power of our of our words, or we can abuse our, our power. We want to we use it for good and not abuse it. So let's look at 6 through 12. 6 through 12. I'll start in the second half of 5, too. It says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I heard it said that our, our, our tongue is more like, a, it's more like a, a fuse or a wick, right? That, that the fire comes and our, our, our tongue, it's actually set on fire by the enemy, right? It's got to start somewhere even be, before us, but we're impacted by it. Set on fire by hell, by Satan, by the enemy. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond Yield fresh water. So what does he what has he said in this second half of this morning's text? Verses one through five, he gives some examples of how we can be impactful with our speech. And then here in six through twelve, he speaks to the destructive nature of our speech. And and James gives these these illustrations. Again, he's just packing them in, illustration after illustration. He says, Our tongue is like a wildfire, just destroying lives. Our tongue is like an untamed beast. Just let him out of the cage. It'll, it'll go. Our tongue is like this, this deadly poison. It's full of deadly poison that we can inject in, into people's lives. So our words can be used for good or our words can be used for destruction. In your own life, how have words impacted you? Thinking back into your history, have you been hurt deeply by the words of a parent, by a friend, somebody you love deeply, but tongue can really destroy people. And then in verse 12, he speaks to the hypocrisy of our tongues. He says, this ought not to be so among us. He talks about the hypocrisy. That like today we could sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me, bless the Lord. But tomorrow, rather than singing that truth and praising him and blessing him, we could tomorrow be speaking critically of somebody. And he makes this caveat, somebody who has been made like you, in the image and likeness of God. You can tear down somebody who's been made in the image and likeness of God, which really goes to, really syncs well with the rest of James that we've seen up to this point. He keeps talking about people that God loves, the poor person who comes into this room versus the wealthy person who comes into this room. God loves them both, right? He talks about these things throughout this book, and here he says again, you can sing on one hand, bless the Lord, you can speak critically and hurt people who are made in the image and likeness of God. 
And it really disturbs James, and it really is an offense to the Lord who shows us grace and love, the gospel, based on nothing that we have done. And so how can we turn around and judge people and be critical of people based on what they've done? It's completely contrary to the gospel. Completely contrary to the gospel. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He says it's like this. Again, packing them in. He says it's like a fig tree that produces olives. Wow, that's crazy. There's a fig tree. Oh, there's olives hanging on it. That doesn't make any sense. Or like a grapevine that produces figs. This is, this is Jewish humor, humor I suppose. Uh, or, or a spring that produces salt water. Right? It doesn't work. It's not how it works. It's hypocrisy. See, that's, that's not how it's supposed to be among us. It's an abuse. We looked at last week that if we're, we're truly saved by our faith, then it will be evidence justified by the fruit that we bear. He says, some of us, we say that we're a Christian, we're this kind of tree, but the fruit that we're producing, it's wrong kind of fruit. It doesn't look like Christian fruit. What's coming out of your mouth, it's just it's hypocrisy. It's abuse. So we need to really examine our hearts and examine our, our words, understanding that our tongue is a powerful, powerful instrument that God has given to, to all of us. So we need to begin to maybe confess a little bit. That's where we start. Next week, we get to even deeper into the heart of this. Maybe this week, we need to start just to confess and say, yeah, wow, I, I do talk a lot, and it can hurt people. Maybe you need to, to confess a little bit to the Lord, and that's, that's a starting point. So I want to give you guys, even in this time as we pray in just a minute here, the chance to confess to the Lord, understanding that my tongue is powerful, powerful, and I... Maybe I've been using it uh, in an abusive way. And I need to have my tongue tamed. Finally, the cool thing is that this morning we get to set before you live examples, positive examples of people who are going to use their words for good and not for evil. And so, as you know, today we'll be baptizing uh, several people. One of them couldn't make it. She's really, really sick, so we'll pray for Krista. And baptize her at another time. But we're going to be baptizing several people. And they're going to get to share their story and talk about what God's done in their heart. And they're using their words for, for good. They're using their words for good. And so today I thought I could go on and on and just keep talking about all these negative examples that you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. Or maybe what's more impactful is setting before you positive examples and say, instead, do this. Use your tongue to share your story. Use your tongue to share Jesus. Use your tongue, your mouth, to tell others about what God has done in, in your life. And so that's what we get to do. In our, our Washington Street small group, connection group this week, we looked at John chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well. Remember this story? Jesus goes in and has this, this conversation with this woman, uh, kind of a scandalous woman, and a woman who in that culture just nobody wanted to be around, a woman who seemed very insignificant. But let me read to you verse 38 of John chapter 4. Here's what it says. Many Samaritans from that town believed because of the woman's testimony. This woman who was insignificant, God gave her a story and she shared her story and many people believed because of her testimony, because of her words. And so words are powerful. You can use them to abuse or you can use them for good, and you can share your testimony. You can share your story, and that's what these guys are going to do this morning is they get to share 
their story and share what God has done in, in their lives. And I pray that we will be built up like a good-looking birdhouse by their testimony and encouraged by their testimony and spurred on by their testimony. And maybe even some of us come to say, that story could be my story today because they share their testimony. So let's pray and we'll get into baptism. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you are a personal God. You're not this distant, far-off God, but you are made near and we can be with you and commune with you and have a, a living, personal relationship with God because of Jesus, because of what he's done, because of the fact that we can trust in him and we can be made right with you as we saw last week. We can have peace with you, God. Thank you for that. And God, I pray that we would be a people who are very careful with our words. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts and show us where we're, where we're really using our words not for good, being irresponsible with our words, destructive with our words. Help us to filter. May the gospel be that filter for us. We would see that you love all people, not based on what they've done, their performance, but based on what you've done and who you are. You're a loving God, a giving God, a gracious God. And so may we extend that kind of grace to all people, even in how we talk, God, I pray that as stories are shared this morning of life change, Lord, that all people in this room would be encouraged and lifted up, and maybe even be able to see that their story can be my story. God loves them, and gave his life for them, and he loves me, and he's given his life for me and for my sin. Thank you for the privilege to baptize people, to celebrate. Pray that we would celebrate, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to baptize some people. It's a really, really exciting thing that we get to do together. As a church, it's a moment where we celebrate. We celebrate. And so as we baptize some people, we're going to put them under the water. When we bring them out of that water, that's a time for us to cheer and to clap and to praise the Lord because we are celebrating life and, and God's work in people's hearts. And so let's cheer and celebrate. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20 Jesus gives his followers our mission, our great commission. This is what we should be doing with our lives. Here's what he says. He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so first thing we're to do is we as Christians are to be and to make disciples. We are to be disciples of Jesus. We are to make disciples of Jesus. And then after we see people come to know Jesus, to trust in Jesus, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Jesus was there, baptized, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit presence, we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we're to, to continue on. This is discipleship, to continue on that journey with them, helping them to grow more and more and more in Christ, helping them to deal with sin in their hearts and to conform their lives to God's scripture, to the person of of Jesus, more and more and more. That's discipleship. And so the people who are being baptized this morning, uh, one, they're being obedient to Jesus. 
saying, Jesus did this, Jesus commanded this, I'm going to do this. And then two, they're displaying to all of you what God has already done in their hearts, that he has made them new creatures. He's, he, they're, they're showing you, this is what God's done in my heart. And they're telling you that this is what God can do in your heart should you trust Jesus as well. And so when, when each of these people are baptized, they're identifying themselves with the, the death and the burial and then the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just remind you of the gospel that scripture says that we have all sinned. It's no doubt that all of us are sinful. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, the scriptures say. And and the result, the wage of sin against an infinitely perfect, holy God who made us for relationship with him, the result of that is separation from him and death and death eternally because it's high treason to sin against God. And so what God does is, is he's the one who's been offended but he's also the one and the only one who can make it right. And so what he does is he comes to earth as a man, Jesus of Nazareth. He lives life perfectly, sinlessly, therefore not deserving death. But he lays his life down. They didn't nail him to the cross. He hopped up on that cross. He lays his life down so that if we would trust in what he has done, taking our punishment as our whipping boy in our place, if we would trust in that, We can be made right with God. We can have peace with God because the penalty has been paid because God is just. Justice has been served. We trust in that. But then, we're not made right, but then we have a dead God. We're made right. But after his burial, three days later, later what happens? He resurrects to life. Now he is, is sitting, not standing, sitting. It's completed. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning on the throne as king. And so we can follow him with, with confidence. He's defeated our, our, our sin. And so those people who are being baptized are saying, he's defeated death, he's resurrected to life, and he's defeated my sin, and I resurrect to, to eternal life. And so baptism is this illustration, kind of like my wedding band. If I took this ring off, you wouldn't go, oh, he's not married anymore. No, I'm still married. It's okay. But the wedding band shows people, I'm taken back off. <laughs> shows people, it shows people, not that, not that women are all over there, not at all. <laughs> I don't ever, I've never had to say back off, <laughs> except for this girl right here. Um, it, it shows people, shows people, she's mine, we're, we're one, right? We've been married, not because of rings on my finger, it's because we're married. We've entered into this covenant relationship. And so baptism isn't that which saves anybody. It's a symbol, it's a profession of, look what God has done in my heart. And so those who are being baptized are, are, are going underwater and they're saying, listen, this is what Jesus has done. He's died, he was buried, and Jesus resurrects to life. And they're also saying, this is what he's done in me. This is what's happened in my heart, that, that I've died to my sin, the old self, and I've resurrected to newness of life in Christ. So it's an exciting thing we get to do. Are you ready? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to let some people share their stories. And remember, their story can be your story. And so the first person I'm going to call up here is Chandrika. Chandrika Cook. Um, I grew up feeling very alone and very independent. I was a straight-A student in school, and I knew too much for my own good. I was just plain smart. I loved to solve problems, and I especially knew how to solve my own. My problem-solving skills were put to the test my senior year of high school. I started failing AP English and continued to fail throughout the entire senior year. 
You would have thought that I was going through a rough time in my life, but I wasn't. I knew what my problem was and just how to fix it, but I could not solve my problem on my own. I asked for no help either. When it looks like I was about to go to summer school and postpone college, I passed English and graduated. I was a little blown away at what happened and where I was headed. I felt I did not deserve it. The following September at Texas Tech University, my last choice school, mind you, I met lots of people. After attending a Bible study, one person invited me to church to lunch on campus. We ate, made small talk, and then she shared this book with me. This little book said that God created me to have a relationship with him, but I was separated by my sin. So Jesus came to earth to live and die on the cross from in my place. And all I had to do was receive Christ into my heart in order to have a relationship with God. I had never heard of anything like that before. I hadn't been to church since I was eight, so I grew up an atheist, not believing he really existed. It was an enlightening moment. I did not pray to receive Christ then, but on my way back to my dorm, I stopped, figured I had nothing to lose, closed my eyes, and prayed. I immediately felt a wave of relief afterward. I could not figure out why. Since that afternoon, God has shown me that not only is he real, but that I am never alone. Although I may have some of the answers to my problems, I absolutely cannot solve them alone. I need him. God gave Joshua a great pep talk in the Old Testament. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. He has also brought many different people into my life to continually teach me this lesson. To this day, my pride prevents me from asking for help from time to time. I know now that I am part of a body of people, a people who are willing to help me and are all captivated by the imaginable love of God. I wanted to also share the, the shirt that I'm wearing. I wore it specifically for today. Um, well, let me show the back. It, it has shine in 2008 on it because it was done, it was done in 08 for the gospel choir I was in, Visions of Light Gospel Choir. And you can't see it because I'm so far away, but the motto is, our motto was on there, and it is Matthew 5 and 16, which states, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so it was just really significant for me because I was in the choir even before I came to Christ. And through my experience of singing for Jesus with other believers, it really helped, you know, in my journey while I was at Tech. And I'm just so glad that I was able to continue the journey here in Boston. Hello. Well, nervous <laughs> in a good way. Um, my name is Annie Cobb. For all of you who don't know me, and I've been coming here for over a year now, and I love it. Um, so I grew up in a religious home. My family went to church, but didn't really go consistently until I went off to college. 
That was the time that I saw my dad truly devote his life to the Lord. During college, I found a church, however, I wasn't consistent in my walk with God. I believed Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross for our sins, but I wasn't acting upon that belief or taking any sort of blame for my actions. My praying wasn't always meaningful or thankful. Rather, it was me asking for something when I was struggling financially or under stress. Believe me, I've always been thankful for the things I have and my family. But at that moment, I was consumed with being a college kid. Following college, I moved to Boston to find a job, and the inconsistency of my faith continued for a few more years. Um, like most recent graduates, I struggled to support myself living in the city and was constantly stressed out about the little things. Then May 21st, 2011 came. Um, the day my life and my family's life turned, up, turned upside down when the unthinkable happened. I was with my fiance when I got the news that my dad had passed away from a heart attack on none other than my younger brother's birthday. I was a mess. I was in shock, confused, angry, and couldn't wrap my head around why God would take my dad the way he did when my dad was so devoted to him. For the next few months, the anger and sadness continued. Though I, wasn't, though I was far removed from, from my faith, the one thing I found comfort in was knowing my dad was in heaven, free from pain, and with the Lord. It was then that I started to question my own life, who I was as a person, what purpose I had. And more importantly, the question of, if I were to pass away tomorrow, would I go to heaven? I found the answer was no. It was in that moment I realized I couldn't get through this alone. I had my friends and family, but I was missing something, something big. It was my relationship with God. The day I stepped foot into Charles River Church over a year ago was an emotional experience for me. That day I confessed all of my sins, prayed for forgiveness, and asked the Lord to really start working in my heart. I often describe this year as being the one, of, one of the most hardest, most amazing years of my life. I lost two people I loved so deeply, but gained a relationship with the Lord. Since I gave my life to the Lord, things have begun to change within myself and my heart. I find my prayer shifting. I'm more thankful than ever before, more honest with God, myself, my friends and family, less anxious over things I cannot control, while continuing to work on recognizing my faults and the reality that I still have a long, long way to go. God is continuing to soften my heart and teach me how to be more like him every day. Like all of you, I'm a sinner, and I continue to, to work on the things I struggle with. I've become a stronger person in my relationship with God and knowing he will never leave me and that there truly is a reason for everything he does. This life here on earth is just the beginning, and God does have a plan for all of us, even if that plan doesn't make sense or seems unfair. Josh often says trusting in God doesn't mean it's going to make our lives easier. Things will be messy and hard at times. Life is messy, and I have found that trusting in God does make those hard times that we go through easier, bearable at the most unbearable of times. For that, I am forever thankful. One of the scriptures that I love that reminds me that God is always present, and with his love and strength, I can get through anything, comes from Isaiah chapter 40, 30 through 31. Even the youth shall fall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount upon wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. Certainly, a, you can consider a roller coaster with ups and downs and quite a bit of challenges along the way. But when the roller coaster would hit bottom, the feeling of being alone was, was awful. Uh, when I was away at school, hundreds of miles from my family, 
when my friends weren't around, those were the really hard times. They were gut-wrenching. And during those years, I pursued happiness in many of the wrong places. Uh, the constant search for happiness was also like incredibly exhausting, I have to admit. Um, I finally made it out of college with good grades and an amazing job uh, here in Boston, where my, my life really started to shine. I was, I was very blessed. I was becoming my own adult, was self-sufficient, and could stand on my own two feet for the first time in my life. My job brought me many blessings over the years. My friends provided me many laughs, and the relationship with my family was great. I was happy all the time. There's no question about it. But I think where I went wrong was believing that I had complete control over that happiness. But like we all know, life, living life this way will never keep you at the top of that roller coaster. Uh, everything seemed to really come crashing down with the sudden passing of Annie's father. It was the first time in my life that I'd been slapped in the face with reality. I had no rock underneath me. I had no understanding of how to deal with death and was left with an overwhelming sense of fear and terror. It was really the first time in my life where I felt an absolute absence of control in my life that I've had for so long. I couldn't cover it up, I couldn't avoid it. It was a time in my life where I finally realized that it also won't be the only time in which I was going through something like this. I think most things began to come into perspective after that, where I realized that the means in which I was seeking happiness and control were flawed and were not perfect. They were bound to fail me time and time again. So my coming to faith in Christ isn't something that happened really overnight. It's I think for many people, they'll, they'll identify a moment in their time where they distinctly remember handing over the reins to God. For me, it was over the course of about a month, the first month I started attending CRC uh, last August. Not long after Annie's dad's passing, Josh um, started attending CRC last August, which was not long after Annie's dad's passing. Josh often uses the term that God will stir your heart, and I can't put better into words that feeling. I find myself listening to the gospel or the music here at church becoming overwhelmed with an inexplicable emotion. I'm sure many of you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, I know that was God politely knocking on my door asking if I'd let him in. That month was the first time I also started getting re into reading the Bible and scripture, learning about Christ and his purpose during his time on earth here. And it seemed like every time I'd pick the Bible up, I'd read something that seemed to relate perfectly in that particular time of the day. It was really strange. I got into prayer and can distinctly recall a day in which I was going to do it the right way. I was going to thank God for his blessings, acknowledge my sins, and pray for God to work miracles in the lives of others. And I recall praying this one particular day over and over again for my fiance to be given a break during this hard time in her life. She had not only lost her father, but had actually also been laid off of work suddenly. So it wasn't, it wasn't going too well for her. Uh, you know, the, the burden of bills, loans, was really starting to get to her. And if I've ever prayed, uh, seen a prayer get answered, it was this one day where I decided I'm going to pray all day long and see what happens. <laughs> um, I was asking that the interview that she was going on would let her shine, and that the people would see the potential in her to make a great impact on her company. So, strangely enough, later that day, I got a call from Annie, and she told me that 
the interview had gone really well. She was actually offered the job on the spot, an amazing job at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I was shaking my, I was shaking when I hung up the phone. I literally could feel God's presence and his message to me that he will take care of us. So going back to the control aspect, I finally understood that I can't control everything in my own life. And it was a very comforting experience for me during those times uh, to feel the weight lifted off my shoulders. And like the weight of the cross on Christ's back, he took the burden off of me and onto him. My faith became a lot stronger, and over the year, I've been learning to, I've been learning new things all the time regarding how this new relationship with God will work. This newfound faith in Christ is like looking through a new lens on life. I acknowledge that I sin and I'm not perfect, but I also know that I have a choice in how I can live out my time here on earth. I'm learning to build deeper relationships with the people in my life. I'm learning to how to make decisions that don't just have my, my own self-interest in mind, which is a really hard one, but I know that God's there with me helping me out. I'm learning how to honor Christ in my life and give thanks to what he's provided for me. I'm learning to share those blessings that I have with others who may be less fortunate. And I'm learning to stop being so judgmental. I'll note that I mention I'm learning. I've still got a lot of work to do, but I know I'm heading in the right direction. Um, again, from Jeremiah 17, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. 